Hey everybody, thank you for joining Conchahawk and Vineyard Church online today. You know, it's been quite an eventful month at CVC. Uh, we started off by celebrating Mother's Day with child dedications. Then we shared in the joy of baptisms, which was a lot of fun. I, I just love how our community generously shared all those encouraging prophetic words as people were giving their lives to Jesus and prayed over each person. It was really powerful. You know, one of the guests we had last uh, that we commented, they were really impressed by how our community did that. And uh, it was really a sense of God's presence. And, you know, to everyone, I just wanted to say great job in welcoming the guests, too. It's always great to see uh, some new folks and experience God in that way. And uh, then, to top it all off, last week, uh, we all wimped out on playing kickball because it was too hot, and we ate our hoagies in the air conditioning. So way to finish strong, everybody. But uh, my apologize to those kickball enthusiasts out there. Uh, I would like to uh, get your vote uh, in the comment section. So if you're listening to this on Facebook Live as it's premiering, um, I would love to get your comments in the section, the comment section there, uh, for another day and a time that you think would work well to reschedule our kickball game. So it's just a way to interact online, even though we're not in person. And if it's all the same to you, you don't really care about kickball, no problem, I understand. Uh, maybe you can consider saying hi in the comment section if you'd like, if you're joining us uh, right now, and uh, just so we can have some of that level of uh, interaction during the service. But anyway, uh, as you know, as you probably know, this Monday is uh, Memorial Day here in the United States. Uh, it's a day when we honor the men and women who gave their lives in service to our country. Now, Memorial Day was originally known as Decoration Day, uh, it started in the years following the Civil War and became an official federal holiday in 1971. Now, Memorial Day is a good reminder to remain humble and deeply thankful for the sacrifices that were made by well over a million soldiers who died in wars since the founding of our country. You know, our country has seen its fair share of suffering, both in war and outside of war. Sadly, it seems as though a lot of the suffering in America, has uh, we've experienced uh, all this violence and these things like wars within our own borders, uh, like the Civil War uh, and what it was fought for, and uh, a war where more soldiers died than any other war uh, that's been fought, uh, topping over 620,000 people. You know, in these past few weeks, you've probably heard about the racially motivated shooting in Buffalo that killed 10 black people and injured three others. And then soon after, 19 children and, and a couple adults uh, one a teacher, I think perhaps a security guard, they were killed at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, you know, last I heard, there were 16 others wounded, and earlier that day, the 18-year-old gunman also shot and wounded his 66-year-old grandmother. I mean, this stuff is insane. Uh, years, I mean, when I was young, I never even heard of this stuff happening. Now it seems to be a regular thing. You know, and then meanwhile, of course, in Ukraine, children are dying in the war. And the latest reports that I saw that uh, over 500 children have died so far, and it's horrendous. And when these things kind of happen, uh, or you hear about them happening, but particularly when they happen to you or your family, I mean, the suffering seems inexplicable. It's unbearable. I mean, it's difficult to know how to respond. I think a lot of us are just shaking our heads. But, you know, just knowing about these things is difficult for many people, and people are experiencing uh, emotional trauma just trying to deal with it, but particularly those who are experiencing things. Uh, but, Today, you know, I, you know, as I've talked to many of you, I know that some of you are probably grieving some losses of your own. You know, maybe you've lost a, a loved one uh, recently, or you're slowly losing a lo loved one to sickness in your family, or you've been sick for a while. 
you know, maybe you have a friend in the military who died in combat, you know, uh, if you've been fortunate enough or young enough not to see a loved one die, you know, I think we can all agree, at least agree that the reality of suffering inevitably finds its way into our lives in one way or another, you know, whether it's from our current struggles or things that just have happened in the past, even the death or uh, a dashing of a hope or expectation of dream that we have for ourselves or for our loved one, uh, those things can be equally as painful as well. And it's, it's hard to compare pain. Pain is simply pain and suffering is suffering. We all deal with it. You know, how people deal with suffering like this, all these kinds of things, is probably humanity's most challenging issue in its various forms. And let's admit it, there are no easy answers to these questions. However, what Jesus taught us and showed us is that God is at work in the midst of human suffering. After all, there would, wouldn't have been or couldn't have been a resurrection unless there was first suffering and death that came before it. And part of the good news that Jesus offers us and his disciples taught is that we don't need to understand everything. We don't need to have all the answers. We just need to trust the one who does and who can somehow redeem it all. So today, uh, we complete our sermon series called Soul Care, Renewing Jesus' Resurrection Life Within. And what I'd like to share today was written by someone who knew Jesus just about as good as anyone else post-resurrection, the Apostle Paul. And Paul's letter to the church in Rome gives us insight in how Jesus takes our suffering and can use it to renew our soul. The sermon title for today is The Suffering Soul. So let's pray together, and then we'll take a look at the scriptures. Lord, uh, Lord God, have mercy. Have mercy on our world. Have mercy on us. God, have mercy on uh, the parents and the families and the teachers and the community in Uvalde, Texas, in Buffalo, God, uh, in, in Ukraine, in the parts of the world that are suffering now that are in our awareness. And God, I mean, there's so much, <clears throat> so much suffering in the world that we don't even know about. But Lord, we pray that your mercy would fall on those, those families of, of uh, those who have lost folks in the shooting, particularly in Texas, Lord. Would your kingdom come and will be done in their lives? Would you bring comfort and peace and life? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, what we're going to do here as we, uh, we move on in our uh, sermon series, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5. So we're going to start off in verses 1 and 2 if you want to open. Uh, so let's take a look at that. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says. I'll read from Scripture here. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, as Paul writes to the folks. So, um, as, as we look at this verse in Romans, what we see, and what Paul's saying, is that you know what disciples of Jesus do is accept by faith that we stand in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Not by anything we've done to deserve it. And this is really a summary of the first four chapters of Paul's letter leading up to this point. It's that there's Jesus, God offers us through Jesus, salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Uh, But Paul here, what he does is he, he connects the gospel of salvation to how we handle our current suffering. So it's not just a future hope, it's something that has present value to us in, our, in the way that we deal with our real trials and tribulations in, our actual, in the actual details of our life. 
because uh, the gospel is not just for this glorious future. And in, we can look at Romans 5, uh, verses uh, 3 to 5. So let's, let's take a look at that. Uh, he continues on, he says this, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So according to what Paul's saying here, the Holy Spirit is the loving presence of Jesus with us today who uses suffering to produce in us a hope-filled life. And that's incredible. That's an incredible truth. You know, at a conference, a few uh, CVCers attended uh, last week, including Teresa, and she mentioned it. Dr. Jim Wilder put it this way, the Christian life is not a life out of pain. Simply said, and the reason is that while healing and comfort are benefits that come from a relationship with Jesus, and we can often experience that, they're not the only features of being a follower of Jesus. See, a lot of us would like it to be that way. A lot of us would like it to just be healing and comfort. But God is in the, shaping, uh, is in the business of shaping our character. And he shapes our character by transforming our soul. And you see, transformation is not the same as healing. Healing happens in safety, but transformation happens in hardship. God wants both for us. So when we're following Jesus, we often experience both, often at the same time. And, I mean, that's been my personal experience recently, um, especially in the past few months, I've mentioned some things. We've walked our family through uh, various trials, some of them described by my daughter Grace in a recent testimony, which I encourage you to listen to if you haven't yet. Uh, it, was, it was great. But uh, life in the kingdom of God, I would describe it as a train. It's a train that runs on two rails. On one rail uh, are the triumphs, are the victories that we experience, are the, are the ways that we uh, experience uh, God's kingdom resurrection life. And on the other rail are the trials of life. So you have triumphs and trials. And the kingdom runs on both rails to move us forward. And we can't be like Jesus without suffering. It's, a, it's a, an essential ingredient. And we can't sustain suffering unless we're comforted by his presence. So they often go together, and this is what discipleship to Jesus looks like. See, ultimately, what God wants for us is to help us bear fruit, and bear fruit that gives him glory, like we looked at a while ago that he talked about, that Jesus talked about in, in John 15. And the fruit is Christ-like maturity. So you might be wondering, well, what does that maturity mean? And we had talked briefly about that. But one way to understand maturity is simply a person who responds emotionally like Jesus does through the various trials of life. Uh, Dallas Willard often put uh, forward as a benchmark for Christian maturity the question, do we spontaneously love our enemies from our heart? That is what Christian maturity looks like, and that's the way that Jesus loved and the way Jesus responded even emotionally to his enemies. You know, this is the life of love uh, that's described uh, as the final stage in the critical journey of our life of faith, as, as others have, have described it. But What's ha what happens is when we're abiding in the presence of Jesus, particularly in and through our trials, our suffering is the context for a glorious transformation within our soul that leads to love. You know, since suffering actually is so central to our faith, disciples of Jesus choose to suffer in certain, certain circumstances so that they can grow closer to God and, and also see others uh, draw closer to Him as well. There's there's much suffering involved in doing the work 
of the ministry and participating in God's kingdom work, just as Jesus suffered. You know, often, and or often we see what we see in the life of a, of a believer is that increased maturity in Christ most often leads to increase in suffering and vice versa, whether it be a person, your personal commitment to God or sacrificial love for others. The reason why it's sacrificial love is because it feels like a sacrifice. It hurts. You know, in Romans 8, uh, 8, 18, Paul writes this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And although it sounds strange to us, if we were actually able to look at our suffering from a heavenly perspective, we would actually glory, as Paul puts it, in our, in our sufferings. Um, and by glory, what he means is like in the sense of feeling proud about or actually rejoicing in our sufferings. The problem is that most people, including many profession, professing Christians in America and in the West, we don't think about uh, our lives that way because it seems counterintuitive. Uh, at best, we often tolerate our suffering instead of actually rejoicing in it. But in Romans 8, Paul identifies the problem as people, as he says, who live according to the flesh. So let's take a quick peek at Romans 8, something he writes on a little bit later uh, in, um, in the chapter, so, or in, in the book. So Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. I want to read that for us. All right, Romans 8. Pull it up here. Okay, Romans 8, 5 and 6. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. All right, so Paul lays it out there. You know, when we suffer, what happens is when we suffer without God's presence, it's, it's simply death. You know, without the presence of Jesus, our suffering leads to all kinds of disorders and soul malformations like bitterness or rage or feelings of condemnation or toxic shame, unresolved trauma, those sorts of things. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And so we need to learn how to let the Holy Spirit shape our thinking. And when we do, we can see the active and loving presence of Jesus at work in us, even in the midst of our trials. You see, Jesus works to heal us in our present trials and in our painful memories, too, things that happened to us in the past. Jesus works in ways that we don't understand, uh, and he does so uh, even when we don't know how to pray. Uh, I want to read you another section in the, uh, of chapter 8 here in Romans 8, verses 26 and 28. Listen to um, what Paul says about prayer in particular as we're facing trials. So Romans 8, 26 uh, and 27. Uh, he says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And then verse uh, 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. All right, you know, I think for a lot of us, um, like myself including, I think we think we need to have the right words to pray. We just have to pray the right thing in order to get our answers to prayer. Sometimes, however, and I'm sure you've experienced this, during the most painful times, the best way to pray is just to groan. That counts as a prayer, as, as Paul's saying here. Or 
Just let God be present with you in the midst of your thoughts, no matter how confusing they might be, or how, how befuddled, or uh, how, how painful they might be. You know, one of my uh, favorite verses in the Bible comes next, and it's a famous one, you've probably heard it, but it's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love that verse. And traditionally, this verse has been interpreted, and even on um, some modern TV shows, which uh, you, you may have seen it, if you know what I'm referring to, but it's interpreted as all things work together for good. But that's not actually what it says. Uh, the point Paul's making here is that in the lives of those who love God, God can take the things that actually work against good. So that not all things work for good. There's things that work against good, like evil, and, and all kinds of evil, including senseless killing and all the things we mentioned at the, at the beginning of the message. Uh, and he can take even those things and somehow use them for his purposes, even though we don't understand. You know, it's like what Joseph said in Genesis 50, verse 20, to his brothers who threw him into the well and left him for dead. And then he said, uh, you meant ev- evil against me, but God used it for good. You see, one of God's primary purposes is to make us more like him so that we can reflect his image. See, that's been his plan since the beginning. And one of the other primary purposes that Jesus has, or that God has for us, is to draw us into a closer loving relationship with him. And, you know, while those things aren't often at the top of our list of priorities, they are on God's, and that's because he loves us. Let's take a look at um, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. This is beautiful. Listen to this. He says, uh, Paul, Paul writes this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then um, he, there we go, go on there. And then uh, in verse 37, he continues, I'll read that. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Proximity to Jesus is what makes the difference between the life and the death of our soul when we face suffering of any kind. See, it's our connection to Jesus is what makes us and makes the difference uh, between suffering that produces malformation and suffering that produces maturity. Uh, Dr. Carl Lehman, who Teresa quoted last week and also spoke at the Nourish Conference we've been referencing uh, that we had attended, he's worked with thousands and thousands of trauma victims. And he works with the most extreme cases and has even witnessed firsthand, and well, he's witnessed firsthand repeatedly how the presence of Jesus gives people the capacity they need, the emotional capacity, to heal from deep emotional wounds. And what we're talking about are people like Colombian widows who had their husbands killed in front of them in order to purposefully traumatize them. I mean, it's incredible, some of the stories he told. And these widows found healing in the active presence of Jesus through guided Emmanuel prayer. 
And then, uh, based on their experiences, they then went and walked other survivors of this kind of trauma uh, through the same kind of healing they experienced, uh, through an experience with the, uh, the resurrection uh, the, the the resurrected Christ and it's it's incredible and praise God for for what he's what he's doing and there's actually videos you can we can watch of this happening and we're seeing this my ourself in in the midst of our own uh, prayer ministry which we're trying to start we're seeing the loving presence of Jesus meet people in these deep places of pain see it's the Emmanuel God with us it's his presence which brings meaning and brings hope out of suffering because it's Jesus who creates hope out of suffering. You know, our world is full of so much inexplicable suffering, and none of us has the capacity to deal with it. We don't understand it. We don't have all the answers. But again, it, Jesus can. He does provide uh, hope where there is hopelessness, and he can provide meaning where there is meaninglessness. And, you know, this is part of what, like I said, we're, what we're learning to do together in our healing prayer ministry. And if you recognize the need for healing prayer, I'd encourage you to get in touch with us, with myself or Teresa or, or Jess, and it's just Rich Teresa Jess at conchockandvineyard.com to email us uh, so we can give you some practical next steps uh, in that ministry in a way that we can uh, minister to you and walk with you in your healing. You know, and then, of course, if you want to learn how to minister healing by cooperating with Jesus, which is the vision that I have that everyone in our church would learn how to do this to one degree or another, um, we'd love to, to train you to do that. So just let us know as we develop our teams over the next several years, we want to build a culture of healing because this is what happens in the presence of Jesus. We want to, we want to heal because Jesus healed. And when people encounter the church, we want him, people to encounter not condemnation or shame, but healing in his presence. And, and his, his loving presence can guide us through any kind of suffering. And while we don't understand how God uses suffering exactly, you know, why certain things happen on this side of uh, eternity, like wars, school shootings or death of loved ones, what we do know is this. In the loving presence of Jesus, there is no trauma, there is no hurt, there is no suffering or no pain that cannot be conquered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.